Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs in it. That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. Titty <laughs> Doesn't get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes. Comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined tonight by three of my fellow Fanholes. Why don't you guys all give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and I'd like to rip out your nervous system and cryogenically freeze it. This is Justin, and I was once a man. A man! Hello, mates. This is Tony. And cool, blimey, we're going to have us a good thumping time tonight. <laughs> so, in case you guys haven't figured it out, we're going to be discussing, yes, oh yes! G.I. Joe, a real American hero tonight. We're going to be discussing various issues of the Marvel comic book series on a very special Stories from the Spitter Act segment here on Comic Books Motherfucker. Do you read them? And what we're doing is each of us have brought an individual issue of G.I. Joe from the Marvel series, and we're going to go through them in chronological order and discuss them. And I think first up, is going to be Justin. And Justin, why don't you let us know what you brought to discuss tonight? I brought G.I. Joe, Volume 1, the Marvel series, issue number 57, the publishing date of March 1987. And as for the story, basically, Flint and Lady J are assigned to kind of track down the plans for the Terradrome. They need to get these plans from Mars, which is the weapons manufacturer that Destro controls. And we also see Destro is returning to Scotland. He's returning to his castle. And he, he returns home and he's like, I'll have some tea. Only to find that, what? There's another Destro having his tea and having a meeting with some people. And like, the real Destro is immediately like thrown out by the fake Destro. And he is taken away by the police. Meanwhile, Lady J and Flint arrive in England, and they meet up with some British military guys, and they kind of come up with a plan. They have seen Destro taken away by the police, so Lady J disguises herself as an old woman. She goes into Destro's cell. She, like, knocks him to the floor, puts a mattress over him, and then the prison is, like, 
destroyed by some fire. They escape and they make this deal with Destro and in a bit of a rival fusion, they make a deal that if the Joes will help Destro get his castle back, he will give them the Mars plans for the Terradrome that the Joes need. And they kind of split up. Lady J and Destro and one of the Brits kind of, they use this old like World War II glider because it won't show up on the radar. And Flint and one of the other Brits, they kind of decide to kind of make a distraction and attack from the ground in like a Humvee or something. During the battle, like Destro's big plan that he hasn't told them is that he's going to basically, he's going to crash the glider into the castle. And he's like, well, I knew you would never agree to this. So that's why I didn't tell you. And so he crashes the glider. He sees the fake Destro. They get into a fight and everyone's like, oh gosh, we lost like track of who the real Destro is. And they kind of like roll down the stairs, get into this big fight. And then one somebody's like, well, of course the real Destro will be the winner. And of course the real Destro wins. And we have a bit of like a Scooby-Doo moment. Destro takes the mask off of the fake Destro and we see that it is Major Blood. So, so Major Blood is taking away and Destro honors his, his promise to the Joes. He gives them the plans for the Terradrome and like a true gentleman, he kisses Lady J's hand and that's the end of the comic. This comic for me is a kind of a, a slight cheat because I didn't get it from a spinner rack. Like what I remember is there was this kid on the school bus and he was a year or two older than me and to be honest, he was kind of a bully, but he also, like, he was one of those guys, he was a jerk, but he was also into stuff like G.I. Joe and Ninja Turtles. So, you never knew, like, when you interacted with him, if he was going to be, like, a bully or if he wanted to talk to G.I. Joes. And one day on the school bus, I was sitting behind him, and he had one of those, like, huge trapper keepers. Like, I don't mean, like, one of the little ones that you could, like, put a few papers in and that's it. I mean, like, one of the giant trapper keepers that, like, if you were hit in the head with it, which I was many times by this same guy, like it would have hurt. <laughs> yeah. So like I was sitting behind him and he was like going through his trapper keeper and, and I saw this issue and like it's a it's a really nice cover. You have Destro like standing in the middle of Flint and Lady J. And I was like, oh cool, like yeah, Joe. I was like, I didn't expect him, but I was like, hey, can I can I look at that? He was like, sure, which kind of surprised me. So, so I guess so like he, that day he was like not in bully mode. I probably. I, th- I want to say like I was in first grade when I read this, so probably it would have been like late 88 or maybe 89. According to Mike's Amazing World, the on-sale date, like probably in the comic stores for this, was December 9th, 1986. But if we're kind of thinking that maybe we're getting these off the spinner racks... I guess, you know, the the cover date is actually March 1987 for the actual issue. So that might give you a decent frame of reference for about when this was released. Yeah, I I know that it's, it's, it was not new because I could tell, like, it, it had been, like, it had not been well cared for. It had been, like, read many times and it was kind of crumpled and stuff. But I, I knew it wasn't a new issue because my cousin would often buy G.I. Joe comics. Like, that's where I read most of my G.I. Joe comics. Like, my cousin was a pretty big G.I. Joe fan. I think I mentioned this on a, on a show before, but, like, I always liked G.I. Joe when I was a kid, but, like, I I didn't have many of the toys. So anytime I got to go to, like, my cousin's or a friend's house, like, I would always want to play with their G.I. Joes. I remember, like, one Christmas, my cousin got, like, the big, huge G.I. Joe train set. I don't know if you guys, like, have ever seen this, but it was, like, this huge, giant, like, train set with, like, tons of stuff that you could set up like there was like little jeeps and guys and like all kinds of like accessories to go with it like this thing was 
like huge and it was like a great thing to play with. Did it have like, like spring missiles that you could shoot at each other and stuff? Yeah, I think there was some kind of missiles and stuff, but like there there were tons of stuff like that went with this thing. So like I was like I was jealous, but like you know my my cousin would let me play with it, so I was like you know I wasn't like too too butthurt about it. But like like I said, he he was a big GI Joe fan. I would often like read his comics because I like unless I had already bought or read like my usual comics, like I wouldn't buy GI Joe comics. Like like if I would go to like the store. And I'll be like, oh, I've already got this issue of X-Men. I've already read this issue of Superman. Like, in one of those cases, I might buy G.I. Joe or, you know, I might buy, like, an Archie or, or something else. So I didn't really buy a lot of G.I. Joe comics. I feel like maybe I had the Transformers equivalent of that train set you mentioned, where, like, the train set would go from, like, trains and they, like, have, I think, like, fold-out little wings so it would fly and stuff, but... I imagine it was kind of similar because maybe they were both like electrical train sets. Like maybe it was made by Tyco or something. They were made by Tyco. Yeah. 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 Like I've heard of the Transformers one. I've never heard of a GI Joe one. Cobra invaders have taken Bootjack Hill. Our troops are in trouble, but here comes the GI Joe secret mission train with more men, more supplies, and you are in command. The GI Joe special forces head for the bridge, while the GI Joe train speeds to Bootjack Hill with a secret strike force. A helicopter lands behind the Cobra lines, and here come the paratroopers. G.I. Joe 72-piece electric train and battle set complete with battleground scenic map. By Tyco, of course. Yeah, there was like, yeah, there was a helicopter with it, like, yeah, and a bridge and like some tanks, even like paratrooper guys, like tons of like plastic green army men, jeep, and like other stuff. But yeah, like this, this was like huge. I mean, you can see like the box art. This kid is like a little. He's tiny compared to like that thing like that. That was just like a little plastic placemat, I think. And I think I don't think that survived. Like I remember going through some stuff in storage like a few years ago and I found like the engine of the train, but it was like all like I think like the metal wheels were rusted and you know, it was like kind of falling apart. But I was like, Hey, I remember this and I was like, Oh, like you, you kinda didn't survive the eighties, did you? This is basically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the same toy, like, repackaged, you know, like, because it's like, the the Transformers one is a little different, but it came with a plastic mat, it came with the same train tracks, it had the same lead train, but, like, I think the the other cars behind it could do, you know, these little mini kind of wings and guns or whatever you know would transform quote unquote but like these were all very similar where they had like little army dudes but like instead of the army dudes i bet you the transformers one came with like all these little army robot guys or whatever you know what i mean but it's like yeah it 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 cracks me up because i'm like i bet you there's you know i'm sure it doesn't exist but i'm like they might as well just have Tycho like slap like jim and the holograms electric train and battle (laughs) set and it's like you know got like the misfits and the holograms and they're like you know it's got like the jim logo on the side of the train and shit it's just like whatever whatever licensed property they had Tycho slapped it on that train set but yeah my little pony train set yeah yeah so it it it, it, but yeah it's definitely a cool cool train set and everything i i liked reading this issue i mean destro's obviously a very important character in the gi joe universe but he's also one of my particular favorite characters so it's always cool to see i I think he's got that same sensibility as say somebody like dr doom where he's a bad guy but he sort of has his own 
code and and you know there there's a certain level of understanding and he has that same kind of you know almost you know royalty kind of background you know there's a certain sense of decorum and etiquette about him and you know that's definitely reflected in this story with the sort of rival fusion the agreement he makes with lady J. and the the other thing i thought of when when reading this and this this came up a lot when i read transformers and gi joe comics because as a little kid I always wanted to reconcile the differences between them, but never could. So much like, you know, maybe Transformers number six, where, you know, Shockwave beats the shit out of Megatron with a well, you know, I was always like, but, but Shockwave's loyal to Megatron and he stayed behind on Cybertron, (laughs) you know, and like, I couldn't make sense of what was, what I was reading. Like, this is a similar instance and it, I wasn't so married to the cartoon version. In fact, I think by this point, it, it was one of those things where I think it was this weird unwritten rule where I like the cartoon version of Transformers better than the Marvel comic, but I liked the Marvel comic of G.I. Joe way better than the cartoon. I, I, I don't know if that's like hard, fast rule for like everybody felt that way when growing up, but that's kind of how I felt. And like, this is a very sort of hyper-realistic, I mean, compared to what I'm about to bring up, like, rival fusion between Destro and Lady J, and it involves Flint, and the the goofiest thing about it is maybe, you know, one of those British lieutenants where I couldn't help but think of the guy from Clockwork Orange, you know, the guy I always think of when I hear, like, Death's Head voice, because he comes on and he's like, Right, oh, eh, we're going to do the stuff, and I'm going to ask questions that I don't want answers to, eh? And, like, that's that's kind of how that one guy sounded, yeah. their, the, the, you know, UK equivalents that met up with them and everything, and since, you know, Destro's kind of coming into the country under the radar and stuff like that. But the the other thing that this makes me think of, and, and this cartoon episode actually took place a few years before this issue was released, but in in 1985, there's a cartoon episode called Skeletons in the Closet, and it's written by Flint Dilly, but the episode itself is kind of goofy. It's like, you know, Destro kind of makes light of the Baroness, and then he runs into this mysterious woman who's blonde and attractive and everything, and he's part of this weird cult, and they're worshipping, like, some weird Shumagorath monster at their ancestral home, and then to tie into it, like, Lady J gets this inheritance letter, and apparently she's inherited that home, and she stumbles into this. Basically, there's all these weirdos in cloaks, like, worshipping this weird purple Shumagorath-looking monster, and at some point it's like, A Joe agent! Like, what's the matter? Why are you here, G.I. Joe? You know, and it's like he takes off the hood and it's like, whoa, it's Destro and everything. And the 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 one thing that was kind of weird about that is they kind of bring up the notion that since Lady J inherited this this household and Destro is also part of the household that's like worshiping the creature, like there's this they must be somehow related. Yeah, they, they they have some common ancestor in their past, so maybe they're like really, 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 really 
distant cousins or something like that. You know, some goofy connection they made in the cartoon. And I guess I just bring that up because when I read this, it was like one of these like affirmation things. Whereas if I thought that was a little goofy on the cartoon, I would kind of point to this issue and be like, see, they're not even fucking related. That's just, that's just <laughs> cartoon bullshit, man. You know? <laughs> so like I would read this issue and, you know, kind of see it as like, okay, well, yeah, he's, He's teaming up with her and everything, but they're clearly not connected otherwise. So I, I I don't know if it's something where, you know, who knows, maybe Larry Hama saw that episode one afternoon and is like, oh, well, I'm going to write my own version of it, but, you know, make sure that my, you know, the character file cards that I created are, are well-respected and not kind of, you know, I could sell the toys, but I, I don't need to have them do all this goofy stuff. Like what I remember as a kid is all my friends they they like Duke and Scarlet, which I like Scarlet too because you know like I love redheads. But I was always more interested in Flint and Lady J, like as a as a couple, and like I think I was like the only kid in in my like circle of friends that was that felt that way because uh everybody like when we would go outside and play Jejo, like the, you know we'd usually have one or two girls that would play with us and they'd like. You know, they'd be like, I'm Duke and she's Scarlet. And I could never find like some girl to be like Lady J to my plant. And I was always kind of sad about that. But like, I don't I don't know why, but like I always kind of gravitated more towards Flint and Lady J, whether it's in the comics or in the cartoon. I, I don't know if I told this story or not already on some of the other podcasts, but that kind of reminds me of like kind of what you're doing. Like we used to call playing like that on the playground, like big people. And so, like, you would, you know, you would be the, instead of playing with, like, little action figures, you would be big people, you know, you would, you know, be Luke Skywalker, or you would be whatever, you know, and, and like, and like, sometimes we would come up with cockamamie schemes so that everybody was happy, so it's like, you know, if everybody on the playground wanted to be Luke Skywalker, it's like, well, you can be Hoth Luke, and you can be Jedi Luke, and you can be you know, Bespin Luke, and you can be X-Wing Luke, and then everybody was happy because they were all Luke Skywalker or whatever. But <laughs> I, I remember playing G.I. Joe like that, and it was this cockamamie thing where, like, I I was kind of friends with this girl named Gina, and we liked each other, and it was kind of like, we were like, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend, and like, I don't know, preschool or kindergarten or whatever ridiculousness, like, but we both, we both liked each other and liked hanging out. And it was kind of like what Justin was saying, you try to find somebody to be your match. But what was funny was we didn't care about the characters. Like Gina wanted to be Scarlet because she liked Scarlet, but she didn't want to hang out with a guy who was going to be Duke. She wanted to hang out with me. So we made up, like, this cockamamie story that, like, well, Destro doesn't really like the Baroness. He really likes Scarlet, and he's going to kidnap <laughs> Scarlet, and they're going to abscond together or whatever. And it was like we made up this whole, like, storyline where, you know, Destro kidnapped Scarlet and ran off with her or whatever, and that was that was how we, we sort of played the game or whatever. But that's kind of what that reminds me of. We'll break your spirit soon enough, my dear Scarlet. Seeing you a groveling slave will provide me with great pleasure. <laughs> groveling before a meatball like you isn't my style, Destro. You're a paradox, Scarlet. Yeah, I remember in school we used to have like an X-Men club. And like, yeah, inevitably people would be like, you know, I want to be Wolverine too and stuff. And, you know, like I was Cyclops in it, obviously. But then my other friend wanted to be Cyclops. 
So it's like, I think we, we assigned him some action figure variant of Cyclops or something that was out at the time or something. It's like he was rocket arm Cyclops or something like that. <laughs> he had rockets for arms. Yeah. Okay. It's like you, you get to be Wolverine and you're Albert. <laughs> you're Albert Wolverine. <laughs> if anybody, if anybody, if anybody gets that. But is there anything that does anybody else have any comments like Tony or Mike about the issue itself like that you want to go into? I, I would say one of the things that's like really nice about the comics that you don't really get with the uh, show is is like you were saying with Destro. He's a lot more fleshed out. He He's like you say, he's got this kind of, you know, he's villainous. He's not a, a good guy, but he does have a certain code of honor. You know, he keeps his word. And, you know, that's always kind of cool to see, you know, like a character actually have a reason for what he's doing. I mean, he's obviously being, you know, set up to like, like buy an imposter. So of course, you know, he's going to like want to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, as the, the old saying goes, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, even if it's just for a little while. And it's always kind of nice to see that kind of, you know, like you guys say rival fusion where they can team up. And I, I do kind of echo Justin's thing. I, I, am you know, <laughs> you always, you always say who you ship and in modern internet lingo and the cartoon always shipped Duke and Scarlet. And I was just like, bullshit, fuck you. It's like, for <laughs> me, it's always Scarlet and Snake Eyes till the day I die. Same with Baroness and Destro. They didn't really do that in the movie. They kind of played around with it, but she was apparently like, I don't know, whatever. And then, you know, also Flint and Lady J, who in the cartoon and the comic book, you know, were a really good couple. They were a really good pairing. You know, Lady J's feisty and she has like, you know, a little bit of attitude. Flint is so not like Duke. He is so not white bread. That's the only thing I hated. Like, Duke in the comics is perfectly fine. But Duke in the cartoon was just like, you know, excuse me while I go do everything right. I'll be back. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I hate you so much. You're too perfect. But, yeah, I like Flint. He 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 was flawed. He wasn't perfect. And, yeah, yeah, it was. it's always good seeing, like, those kind of characters interact with each other. So, yeah, this this was definitely, you know, a fun read, you know, and, and it did kind of rekindle some memories of the Honorable James McCullen Destro the third. So, yeah, very good stuff. I mean, I don't have like I'm not a huge G.I. Joe fan, but like, you know, most of it was pretty familiar to me and I wasn't confused at anything. So, like, I enjoyed reading it. I think I, I would step up for Cartoon Duke because he was probably my favorite character just because he, you know, he was voiced by Michael Bell and he, you know, he sounded like Prowl and Cyclops and all that. So. You know, I was like, okay, well, that's the cool guy. So yeah, he does. He does fit that leader archetype mold. I think. I think what Mike's yeah. trying to tell us is he was like Fred Savage in The Boy Who Could Fly, like digging through the dirt for his Duke figure that was going to wash away or whatever. Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, in which four guys talk about romance comics. And about romances in comics with Siskoid. We're all uh, French Canadians here. Marty. In horror comics, there's often like this little, you know, <laughs> romance tinge, I guess. Okay. Bass. <laughs> we oh, just yeah. turned on him. <laughs> and yours truly, Fern. I'm very aroused. Featuring the overproduced wonder that is romance comics theater every episode. Dan, I knew it couldn't last from the first day you eyeballed me when I reported to work. It wouldn't matter if I washed in laundry soap and came to work in a burlap sack. I'd turn you on. And you have the same effect on me. I... I do? The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, available at lonelyheartspodcast.wordpress.com and on iTunes. We've had a comic book romance.
well, let's let's go on to the next issue, and the next issue was something that Tony brought for us, so why don't you let everybody know who's listening what issue you brought from Marvel's G.I. Jeff tonight. Well, Governor, what I got here for you... Okay, I'm not going to do that all night, I'm sorry. What I bring to the table is issue 60 of the Marvel run. This is a pretty much a one-off. It's just a one-and-done story, but it's really fun. One of the first things you'll notice about this issue, if you're a combat fan, there's one thing, but I'll get into that in a minute. The issue cover has Hawk getting ready to fire a, a sawed-off shotgun at the evil dreadnought Zanzibar. He's a pirate, too. What you may notice, though, is Hawk has blonde hair, and his action figure that he's dressed as with the uh, kind of bomber jacket, which Justin should love, and the uh, camouflage pants, he has blonde hair. However, in the comics, Hawk was always blonde because his original figure had blonde hair. And unlike the cartoon where they brought in Hawk later in in the season three as kind of a new character, Hawk was with G.I. Joe from the start in the comics. He was always like either in charge. Then after his figure kind of like, you know, hadn't had any updates, then they brought in Duke. And then Hawk came back full force with his general outfit. So this is not a mistake. He has blonde hair. And if anything, the comics got it more right than the cartoon or the action figure. The, the action figure, I think, had like brown hair. And on the cartoon, they they gave him like jet black hair black. and everything. And that's probably to distinguish him from Duke, who was kind of, I, I, I think, I think Hawk, even though he came first for the Sunbow cartoon, most kids knew Duke first. So there was always that dichotomy yeah. of, you know, Clint Barton and Steve Rogers in the same room, unmasked, you know, Hawk and <laughs> right. and Duke in the same room, you know. There's too many their... blonde guys. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's that's kind of what, what was going Larry, on. Larry, give that, give that Hawkeye a Grecian formula. But yes, cover notwithstanding, something uh, a lot of comic nerds will, will note is I don't know if this is his first work in Marvel, so I'm not even going to go there. But I know this is some of his earliest work. I know this is like one of the you know first few things he did for Marvel. This issue was actually penciled by Todd McFarlane, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, there's a little note in your trivia books. But basically, we start off and we have Hawk coming into an airport. And he's immediately accosted by a guy in an MP uniform. His name is Law. And he's got a dog. Name Order. Hey, see what they did there? Shut up. But anyway, Law and Order are there because they have business and they politely tell him that they want to have him go along with them somewhere. There's some business that needs to be attended to. Hawk is not really, you know, too into this. He's, you know, being kidnapped for from his point of view. But, but Law, you know, gently persuades him because Hawk says, if I don't, the dog's gonna rip out my throat. And he's like, you said it, I didn't. Now they get into a Jeep with one of Derek's favorite characters, Lieutenant Falcon, which is kind of cool. Basically, if you don't know, this issue is going to introduce a lot of new characters because right when this came out, this was like series four or five of figures. They took a nice little trip up to a dilapidated condo resort that failed. It's like in New York, but it was supposed to be like Miami North. So obviously things didn't go too well. After some exposition, we find out that the reason why they're there is because they think they're G.I. Joes. And they're introduced to the, you would say, the, the star of the issue, Chuckles. And also another guy named Spastraw, who personally for me is my favorite character of the entire issue. Chuckles is a Hawaiian shirt-wearing, slightly arrogant, but kind of cool guy. He's got a, this demeanor about him because he's a covert operations specialist that he knows what's going on. And he told these guys that they weren't G.I. Joes. Like, these guys all thought that they knew this, but they weren't. And this is why. And they go this big, huge, very Todd McFarlane-looking missile. 
It's got rockets on top of rockets on top of rockets. And it's this old dilapidated thing, even though it looks very modern, that was written off the books. And these not G.I. Joes are sent to basically guard it. Why? I don't know what's going on. Let's shift over to Zorana, who is her ancestor, and Buzzer, one of the original Dreadnoughts. They're coming up to the old gas station hideout the uh, Dreadnoughts use to get some free gas, basically. Um, however, the, the, the lines are empty, and they seem to find out that there's a reason why. There's a giant hose in the gas tank wells, and Zanzibar, who is on the cover, is along with his buddy Monkey Wrench, basically siphoning off Zartan's gas. Uh, Zorana and Buzzer both know each of them, one each, because Zorana knows Zanzibar because Zanzibar sold Zartan the gas in the first place, and now he's stealing it back. And Buzzer remembers Monkey Rent from them running around in Australia back in the old days. As Dreadnoughts do, they don't settle things with words. They, they whack him over the head with their weapons. And after a short fight, Zanzibar says he has information. He'll trade it so they don't get beat up anymore. All right, fair enough. Meanwhile, we have a little bit more expedition with Chuckles and Hawk and everything. Hawk is slowly starting to come around. And basically, it's because Chuckles tells him, it's like, the biggest problem with this missile is it's got preset coordinates. And if it shoots off, it's going straight for Cobra Island. The biggest problem with this is, is Cobra Island at this point is a, a sanctioned country. It is, it's gotten like through some red tape bureaucracy, so this will start a war. That's not good, not good at all. So basically they have to figure out how to not have this missile accidentally shoot off. Unfortunately, the Dreadnoughts learned from Zanzibar that this missile exists and they think they're going to shoot the missile off even though they don't want to. So we have a comedy of errors with the Dreadnoughts riding in full force trying to destroy the missile while the G.I. Joe team is trying to stop the missile from launching because it automatically sets off as soon as the Dreadnoughts arrive. So both teams are trying to stop the missile, but the Dreadnoughts don't understand that. They think they're trying to destroy Cobra Island. So a big hubbub ensues. We have a nice fight between Chuckles and Zanzibar. Apparently both these guys are really tough as nails and they just trade wallops with each other in a couple of nice, very macho manly lines. It's, it's a fun little like fight. And in the end, the missile does go off. During the, the confusion, Zorana sends Buzzer off to the Cobra Consulate to warn them that there's a missile that's going to be shot at Cobra Island. And mainly the only reason Buzzer does it is because Torch and Ripper are there. At the end of the issue, a Cobra helicopter blows up the missile, inadvertently saving the day for both teams. The not-Joes are officially sanctioned by Hawk to be Joes, which makes everybody happy. And Chuckles in the kind of a little badass Miami Vice moment busted to a Pentagon or wherever in a uh, three-piece white suit. <laughs> and there's these two shady government guys who had done all this with a missile and is signing the Not Real Joes. And he, like, puts his hand into his side pocket and they're like, don't shoot, will, will, will. And he's like, I'm not going to shoot you. This is a pen to sign your resignations because he's a badass. He's Chuckles. All right, Chuckles, the object of this exercise is simple. Draw a bead on that hiss and blow it to kingdom come. Chuckles, wake up! You gotta get hit before it gets you! Hey, you do that! What are you doing? Next time, Chuckles, use the rocket launcher. So there you go. That was issue 60. Can I ask a question really quick? Like, was this the comics attempt to, like, introduce some of those movie characters? I, I think it was, like, inadvertent, but yeah, yeah. It was, like, at the same time. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, the, I mean, the, I, I could be mistaken. I, I, I'm starting to wonder if there was an actual one of those 
actual animated tie-ins where it matches up with the Mike Zek cover, because there there were a lot of those at the time. I'm pretty sure there must have been a commercial for Zanzibar and his little air skiff, and I know for sure I had that Dreadnought cycle that they use in the issue. So Yeah, I, that, that was a toy, yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure, like, if anything was being sold in the issue, it was definitely those vehicles. And Here comes Zanzibar! Hey, watch it! Guess what, mates? I discovered the show's rocket base! The cycle's ready! Let's destroy it! Watch out, Jones! The trouble awaits you! The Dreadnought cycle's gonna dare the you can't escape the air skiff, mate! Oh, wait and dirty a nice uniform! Cobra! Yo, no! G.I. Joe! Will G.I. Joe ever capture the vicious dreadnoughts? Find out in Marvel Comics! It seems like, with the exception of, of Fastback, like most of those other guys, like you said, Justin, were fast draw, introduced. Derek, fast draw. Oh, fast, fast draw. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting confused with the Jack Kirby New God stuff. But yeah, so fat, but fast draw is the guy with the missiles. Like he wasn't. He would have been cool if he was in GI Joe the movie. I, I, but unfortunately, he wasn't. I, I always thought it was a cool idea to have a guy who had like missiles strapped to his backpack i was like that's kick-ass you know, I, th- I thought it was funny i thought it was funny how it's like they were like he's in a bulletproof suit and i was kind of like why don't they give all the gi joes those <laughs> like <laughs> that seems really handy yeah i agree with there that's why fast draw is my favorite character the the book even though he really doesn't do a whole lot but he just he 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 has the boba fett he looks cool thing he doesn't have the mysteriousness but he looks cool I guess I'll bring up the aforementioned thing. Did the Tom McFarlane artwork, like, was that cool with you guys for him being G.I. Joe? Like, he really didn't do this kind of stuff. He was mo- He's mainly known for superheroes. I think I, I'm starting to wonder if the inker assisted a lot in terms of, like, backgrounds and all that other kind of stuff. Because some stuff seems, like, really detailed in it. And then you can see the McFarlane and, like, the figures and the faces and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I, I wasn't horribly offended by the art or anything like that. I, I think it's fine. Like, I, I, I was never really, like, the biggest detractor of Todd McFarlane's artwork until, like, I could perceive and see things that I considered lazy but that was always stuff like way late in like spawn runs or maybe in some of the you know adjectiveless spider-man stuff where it's like I'm a writer and an artist and it's like because I don't feel like drawing a bunch I'm gonna put like 40 million dialogue narration boxes over this black (laughs) ink spread of someone's cape or some alley or whatever it is and then I was just kind of like oh well that's you know that's just a trick you know like but but I, I didn't, you know, obviously this is early in his career, like you said, so there there aren't any real shortcuts or tricks. And if he used any, I, I would imagine the inker made up for it. So, I mean, I I I like the art. I mean, I'm, I'm OK with it. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with like, I, I think he did one issue of All-Star Squad and then he did several issues of Infinity Inc. So, like, I'm, I'm familiar with like his early DC stuff, but uh, I, I had no idea he did any G.I. Joe stuff. He did a snake eyes cover too. Yeah, besides this, there's actually an issue. I'm trying to remember what issue it was. I think it might have been there's an issue of G.I. Joe, I think it's like issue sixty-six, but it was ultimately drawn by someone else. But then later on, like basically after Todd McFarland had left Marvel to go off to image, they tried to cash in on like his hot status by releasing this G.I. Joe special. And like 
Snake Eyes was basically on the cover in the same pose as Spider-Man number one. But, I mean, basically, it was the same script that Larry Hammer wrote for whatever issue it was. I think it was G.I. Joe 66, because I think it had to do with the whole... uh, They were in that weird, made-up Slavic country in the Gulag or whatever it was. And, like, it was basically just Todd McFarlane's penciled version of that story, instead of whoever... Uh, uh, Trucial Abysmia, I think, right? Maybe. I I don't think it was that. Like, there, there was... It was a different... It was like some kind of Slavic country, not a Middle Eastern country. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're so, right, right. But but they were both they were they were both made up countries. I was gonna also bring up. We seem to have inadvertently. I won't give away Derek and Mike picks because I want them to talk about them, obviously. But uh, with Justice Pick, we have a very Marvel, like GI Joe kind of issue. It's very like the Marvel GI Joe, very Larry Hama kind of issue. I didn't do this on purpose, but. This seems like an issue that would really be a, a, a perfect G.I. Joe episode for the Sunbow cartoon, or am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, with, with some exceptions, I mean, you, you wouldn't, you, I mean, I don't want to say you'd never say never, but I, I don't think you would have Hawk play such a big role in the Sunbow cartoon, but, but in terms of just introducing, like, new characters and toys and stuff like that, I mean, you know, it's funny, like, Zanzibar is not the coolest-looking Dreadnought or coolest-looking Cobra, but, like, he always, always stood out to me because of his file card, like, and that's, that's because, like, I, I just, I wrote down what was said in this file card because it, it's always cracked me up for years where it's like... He's basically a pirate, yeah. <laughs> well, no, they, they, they always go like, you know, this is the Larry Halma genius stuff where he, he's like, this guy is so nasty that the other dreadnoughts hate his guts. He sneaks around at night and goes through their pockets for change. He takes one bite out of each chocolate-covered donut and throws them back in the box. He brushes his (laughs) teeth with grape soda and never changes his socks. You know, and, like, that's his write-up. Like, it's like he's a disgusting, like, filthy human being. And he's like that guy that comes over to stay with you that, like, you wish wasn't staying with you you know like and it's like that and it's like think about it the dreadnoughts feel that way about them and the dreadnoughts normally are those guys but it's like those guys feel that way about this guy so he must be like it's like he's really not cool you know so it's like he's always like stood out to me as far as like a character goes with you know just the notion of somebody eating a donut, like taking one bite and sticking it back in the box. I was really like, Ugh! You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even like grape soda. You know, he's the biggest dick in a room full of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. One thing I did want to ask before we move on, I know we don't want to dwell too long on each issue. They, they, they paid a lot of attention to chuckles in this issue, which he never got a lot of big airtime in the cartoon, mainly because the movie was pretty much the end of, the uh, Sunbow era, and then we had the Deke cartoon, which came a couple years later, so he kind of missed his window to be a character. I know a lot of G.I. Joe fans who collect figures never really liked Chuckles because his 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 action figure was what he was in this comic. He's really just a guy in a Hawaiian shirt with some, you know, army pants. But honestly, I thought Chuckles was great in this, like, issue. I thought he was a really fun character. I think Larry Hama really fleshed him out on the file card as well. And I think that's something that is followed up to great effect in IDW's like G.I. Joe Cobra miniseries where he's like the main character and they really play up the whole 
Miami Vice undercover agent infiltrating Cobra, doing all this kind of heavy-duty, you know, long-term undercover espionage type stuff. And you get a taste of it here where he seems to be a guy who, you know, is is embroiled in the ins and outs of paper pushing and all kinds of shady stuff. But like you said, when push comes to shove, he also is kind of like a big bruiser type guy who can go toe to toe with Zanzibar. I, I think what's kind of disappointing is, and again, that's that disconnect, like not to say that I don't love G.I. Joe the movie, because I do love G.I. Joe the movie, but I, I think Chuckles is one of those guys that has that Killer Croc, Bane, KGB's dichotomy. You know, he's a very fleshed out, smart, intelligent character in the comics on his file card. But when you see him in the movie, he's the guy who can't fucking launch a missile from the Havoc. So he rips the missile off the Havoc and hurls it at the test drone to blow it up. You know, it's like... It's like, you know, Beachhead's like, what are you doing? You know, like, and he's like, you know, flipping out. (laughs) This guy's a big blonde dunderhead, you know, and it's like, it's one of those things that's like, it's a great joke. It works beautifully in the context of the movie. And if you knew nothing about Chuckles, you're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But if you know about his file card and you know, all these other great, you know, like this issue, for example, and I I think specifically like the G.I. Joe Cobra IDW miniseries, like they're totally just not the same character. So you you sort of have to divorce those two versions of the character to appreciate either one. But, you know, I I, I think he was great in this too. Mike, what do you you think about this issue? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I I instantly kind of like recognized this issue as a like sell new toys issue. And, you know, I was like, oh, this kind of seems like it's the first appearance of like Chuckles and yeah, like Fast Draw and Falcon and those guys. So I was kind of like, but it was it was it was done well. I thought it was interesting that like their first appearance is like them having been tricked into thinking like they were like part of GI Joe when they were not actually. So I was like, it's a, but it at least like, I guess to their credit, it's like they they're in the midst of like fixing their mistake basically when the issue like opens. So, but you know, I, I liked it. And yeah, I, I was kind of like, Oh yeah, this is, I, I kind of like read, looked at the first two pages and then I was like, Oh, this is Todd McFarlane. Like I kind of recognized it. And I, I'd known he'd done some G.I. Joe before, but I didn't realize it was this issue. Tony, before we before we move on, I'm just curious, like, did you mention, like, where did you acquire this this book? I'm just curious in terms of, like, background on, on how it fell into your lap, basically. Well, actually, unlike Justin, I, I guess more like you, I was a little bit older than Justin when G.I. Joe was having its heyday as a, a Marvel comic. And I'm not going to lie. I've not been the biggest Joe fan in like the last 20 years, probably. I, I still buy figures every once in a while, and I've seen both movies, and it is what it is. But I'm still not like, you know, a diehard like a lot of the the older fans who, who collected G.I. Joe when they were younger. But when I was a kid, I loved G.I. Joe. I had so many of those little fuckers. And, you know, I, I like you said, Derek, you know, you, you always have that one friend or one family member who they're a little bit better off than like your family. You know, you don't have to be poor, but like there's always somebody who's richer than you. And I had this friend who had the Terror Drome, and you know he had all these big, huge playsets. And I would like truck over my Vamp and my Trouble Bubbles and my His Tanks, 
you know, and, I, and we we play, you know, because he had the big, you know, bases and stuff. So I was a huge GI Joe fan when I was a kid, and I collected these comics religiously. There was a store up the street. Well, I shouldn't say up the street. It was about two miles away. It was called the Pantry, and it was basically a convenience store. It was a local chain, and they had an honest to god spinner rack. And I bought so many Joe comics off that spinner rack. And like, this was during the days when like comics were not in a lot of direct dis- distribution specialty shops. So I would get like, you know, annuals and stuff off the spinner rack and just, just eat them up like candy. You know, I had like, you have to remember guys, this is when comics were like 75 cents to a dollar. So if I get my allowance, I think I got like a $10 allowance at that point. I was like eight or nine and God, like $7 of that would go to comics. And, you know, I would just, I would just eat up all these comics. And this was one of the ones that bought off the spinner rack. I bought a lot more Joe issues. We may talk about those in the future. But for like a one-off issue, like we were kind of go through tonight, like just one comic you could bring to the table. I thought this was fun for historical reasons because of Todd McFarlane. And also, like, I, th- I think a lot of the later Joes, like Chuckles or, or Zanzibar, like Derek mentioned, you know, he's not the coolest guy, but he's he's an interesting character. They don't get a lot of love. You know, everybody's always about Duke and Snake Eyes and Scarlet and Storm Shadow. So it's kind of nice that this issue highlighted these later characters in a nice way, in a way that, like, you were like, you know, like Mike says, like, yes, to sell toys, but okay, I kind of want to buy that toy now. Yeah, <laughs> like made you interested in their, in their characters. So the cover really popped talk about the shooting Zanzibar on his flying air skiff, and the colors were really good. It's like the, it almost it's like this red back, you know, a red sky and, you know, this giant tidal wave. You know, it, it's just very energetic and very eye catching. And I'm like, when I walked into the comic shop, I just remember I, like, you know, looked at him, like, oh, new G.I. Joe. And I just snatched it up and just had to go home and read it. And, Lay on my bed with my, my feet in the air and like, you know, yeah, chuckles. Not gonna buy your figure, he looks dumb, but like in this comic, you're cool. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely Zanzibar and, and even Chuckles to a degree. I mean, they're definitely memorable characters, even if maybe they're not the epitome of cool, you know, they, they definitely made a mark and everything. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And I, I I enjoyed revisiting this issue. I mean, like yourself, I read a lot of issues of G.I. Joe off the spinner racks. Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGPod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? I guess what I'll do is I'll transition into my issue. And kind of like Justin, I mean, I I will say that mine is sort of a semi-cheat because this isn't an issue that was early on in the run, per se. Like, this wasn't an issue I got when I had no idea what a comic book store was. 
But just to give some background, this is G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue 109. It was released on the on sale date was December 18th, 1990. The cover date was February 1991. The cover artist was Lee Weeks. And the writer was Larry Hama, of course, and the penciler was a gentleman named John Statema. And on the cover, you can see Snake Eyes with a bunch of Joes, and the cover blurb says Casualties of War, and the title is actually Death in the Desert. And I got this from a spinner rack at the Walden Books, if there's any local listeners, I got it at the Walden Books in the Southland Mall in Hayward. And it's it's kind of a cheat because, one, like, th- this is something I just was planning on burn stealing. Like, I, I think I was probably of that age where, like, I, I wasn't quite a teenager yet, but I was almost a teenager. I was probably, like, 12, almost 13. And it was, like, one of those things where... You needed to get rides, usually, like, with your parents to go somewhere and stuff like that. So, like, from my recollection, it's like, what I used to do was, at that point where I was sort of trying to be independent as a young man, it was like one of those things where, like, you'd go to the mall with your mom, but then it'd be like, all right, mom, I don't want to, like, waste time, like, watching you figure out shit you want to buy like I'll go do my thing you go do your thing and we'll meet back up here in like 30 minutes or whatever it is and you know my thing was of course you know going to like KB Toys or playing video games or you know like you know going to Walden Books and checking out comics and stuff like that and so one of the comics I saw was this issue of G.I. Joe and it was one of those things where I read it and I was planning on just burn stealing a bunch of stuff but it was so fucking brutal and awesome like I was just like oh dude I'm buying this like this is awesome and it almost kind of generated a a resurgence in my interest in G.I. Joe because I think I was really really big into G.I. Joe from I'd say 1984 to 1987 and I think it really peaked like during the G.I. Joe the movie period but I, I would say, like, from that period, from 84 to 87, it was almost like I religiously, like, bought all the figures and read the comics and, and all that kind of good stuff. But I think somewhere after 87, it was like, maybe I'd occasionally buy an issue here or there, but I sort of lost track of it on a monthly basis, and I probably stopped buying the figures or maybe only bought select ones or something like that. And this was something where it just really piqued my interest and kind of revitalized my passion for G.I. Joe. But let's talk about, like, the specifics of the issue. Last issue. A team of Joes consisting of Lieutenant Falcon, Duke, Breaker, Crankcase, Heavy Metal, Thunder, Cross Country, Quick Kick, Doc, and Crazy Legs just destroyed several pterodromes up for sale in Trucial Abysmia. The team are now the prisoners of the Crimson Guard commanders, Tomax and Zamod. While Tomax and Zamod give Duke a brutal beating, Cross Country attempts to go to Duke's aid, only to get smacked down by the rifle butt of a viper. Complaining that their fists are sore, Tomax and Zamod toss Duke and the rest of the Joes into a ravine, 
They call Cobra Commander by satellite phone for further orders. In New York City, Cobra Commander is evacuating the Cobra Consulate building after Snake Eyes' attempt on his life from last issue. Tomax explains that they are stuck with G.I. Joe prisoners. Not wanting to anger Snake Eyes any further, the Commander tells the twins to get rid of the prisoners without any context. While the Commander's intent was to have the twins release the prisoners until he has safely evacuated New York City, Tomax and Zaymot fall on the Sam Jackson side of the take care of her? moment from Pulp Fiction without John Travolta to go, nah man, nah. In the ravine, Cross Country reveals he was able to get a knife off the Viper who cracked his head. As Cobra prepares to move out, the Crimson Guard commanders call a meeting with some of their nastiest Vipers. They tell them to take care of the prisoners, in the Sam Jackson sense. And the Vipers hesitate and make a number of erroneous interpretations of what that could possibly mean. Cutting through the bullshit, we are introduced to the Semi-Automatic Weapons Viper, or Saw Viper for short, who agrees to carry out the dirty work. Tomax and Zamot leave him behind with a Cobra Rage, two Vipers, and agree to the incentive of two months of extra pay once the deed is done. In the ravine, the Joe prisoners hear the Cobra army leaving, and Doc is boosted up by crankcase and heavy metal to take a look. Doc's face is met by the Saw Viper's mini chain gun and is promptly shot in the head. Falcon screams, He popped caps on the Doc! And crankcase confirms without a doubt, Doc is dead! Trapped in the ravine, the Joes are bombarded with heavy machine gun fire from the Saw Viper. Thunder, Crankcase, and Heavy Metal sacrifice themselves as human shields for their fellow Joes. Lieutenant Falcon orders Cross Country to give him the knife he stole earlier and throws it into the Saw Viper's chest. Falcon is boosted over the edge of the ravine and elbow butts the Saw Viper. Before he can use the Saw Viper's mini chain gun on the two remaining Vipers, they clip Lieutenant Falcon in the arm. Falcon then tosses the mini chain gun to Quick Kick, who mows down the Vipers in rage. Breaker uses a VHF radio on the Cobra Rage to contact the pit and gets a hold of General Hawk, who plans to use the Defiant Space Shuttle to implement a rescue mission. Tomax and Zamot intercept the VHF radio and jam the transmission. They send two Hiss-2 tanks, a Maggot, and two Fang-2 helicopters with the following instructions. Tell them, in plain English, not to leave a single Joe alive. As the Joes leave the scene and head to the extraction point, we see the Saw Viper isn't dead and plucks the knife Lieutenant Falcon threw out of seven layers of composite fibers. Pissed that Falcon broke his nose, the Saw Viper is picked up by the Cobra tanks and leads them in pursuit of the Joes. As the Defiant launches from Utah, the Fang 2s attack the Joes on the run. Breaker is hit by machine gun fire, but Duke blows both fangs out of the sky. Meanwhile, the mobile battle bunker will be dropped in orbit from the Defiant. Although the Rage nails one of the Hiss-2 tanks, the other tank and the Maggot blow up the Rage with all the Joes aboard. Cross Country and Duke manage to pull Lieutenant Falcon from the wreckage, but Breaker, Crazy Legs, and Quick Kick didn't make it. Duke tells a teary-eyed cross-country to pull himself together as the Saw Viper and his team are closing in to finish them off. The issue concludes on a cliffhanger with the mobile battle bunker entering the atmosphere. 
However, upon deploying parachutes to slow their descent, the chutes rip with wildcard, rock and roll, and clutch, plummeting to certain doom. And that is G.I. Joe issue 109. So yeah, that, that kind of like totally blew me away when I read it, literally and figuratively. So there you go. Like, I had never read this before, but I knew what happened in it. Like, and I knew, like, I had known, like, I, I remember being shocked at learning because, like, I, the only thing I had been familiar with was the cartoons. So I was like, you know, oh, guys like Doc and Quick Kick, like, died in the comics? Like, oh, that's kind of harsh. Like, because, you know, Quick Kick's like a goofy guy in the cartoon and stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, he got killed? Like, wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea, like, of the events of this, so when I was reading it, I was like, dude, like, they killed off Doc? Like, what the hell? And then Quick Kick, like, I'd always, like, kick Quick Kick on the cartoon and stuff, and I was like, Quick Kick too? Like, oh, come on, man. Like, I can't believe they killed him. I, I think part of this, like, eventually, and I, I, I want to say, like, this was kicked off by having Zartan stick up arrow in the head of Serpentor, but it's like what we always kind of laugh about, where, you know, Larry Hama didn't like having certain toyetic you know hasbro execs kind of foister these characters upon him you know the whole well we got this character for you larry you know it's the cobra emperor and he's like well we already have like the head of cobra we don't need like another head of cobra and i i think i mean i don't want to speak for larry hama but i mean i think you know he probably found the idea of quick kick maybe insulting or or at least he was never probably super happy with the character. So I can see Quick Kick being a victim of that discontent as well. Kind of going like, ah, this guy was never that cool to begin with. Let's let's blow his ass up. I mean, he doesn't even really get... I mean, he, he has moments where he, he you know, takes out those vipers and, and has a little cry about it at the end and all that kind of stuff. But when he actually dies i mean a lot of those characters are just blown up and it's to me like i i think the thing that shocked me is like if you if you think of characters like being og you know it's like the og x-men or whatever you know that kind of notion i'm like breaker is one of the og joes and like that kind of shocked me that breaker was killed because i was like well he's one of like the original 12 you know and i was like that's that's crazy you know and and the same thing with doc too because you're just like that was always a huge moment for me you know where they're like you know oh dude he popped caps on the dock and and coming from that background like mike was saying where you grew up watching the sunbow cartoon and you know basically it was just lasers and Nobody really died, and every time they blew up a, a rattler or a fang or whatever, there would always be, like, f for every fang there was, if there were three fangs and three fangs blew up, there were three parachutes, and they would always parachute out, and nobody would actually die in all these battles. And, like, this was the first time where I, I felt like it wasn't really talking down to me. And, I mean, I, I suppose it's it's not such a groundbreaking issue in terms of, you know, Larry Hama obviously wrote G.I. Joe early on where, you know, certain characters died, but usually there were characters that he created that weren't toys, you know, like Quinn the Eskimo guy or Dr. Venom or, you know, like just random Cobra, you know, officers and soldiers. So it wasn't like, the same thing as killing something that people bought as, like, 
action figures or that were on cartoons. And I, I think at this point they just gave him license. Cause I think this was like, this was like somewhere in between, like this was after long after GI Joe, the movie, you know, it was like maybe three or four years after GI Joe, the movie, but this was kind of in that period where the D cartoon was on too. So, I mean, there's that aspect to it, but I mean, this basically sort of lit a fire under my ass to like go get back issues of GI Joe from the comic store and catch up and keep reading it month to month from this point because I was I was like are they gonna get the Saw Viper like are they gonna are they gonna make him pay for what he did like are more people gonna die and you know of course you know they went on to like you know kill more characters that Larry Hama couldn't stand like Battle Force two thousand and you know there there were repercussions for the Saw Viper, but I mean, I remember going out and actually specifically tracking down the action figure of the Saw Viper, because it was like, wow, like, this is, to me, this was, like, epic and sort of history-making and everything, and and the fact that I just kind of stumbled upon it as, like, a, a burn steel is how this started. It just became, you know, that much more to me. What I thought was kind of weird, though, was, like, like I like how like Zayma and Tomax are like they're all like like skittish about ordering like the Vipers to kill the Joes basically, and I'm kind of like, aren't you guys a terrorist organization? Like, did, did this never come up before? Like, everyone like everyone it seems like even the Vipers are kind of like skittish about actually doing it. And like even Cobra Commanders like like he didn't even intend for them to kill them. He's like, ah, I'm. I told them to let them go and they like and they like misinterpreted his orders as to like kill execute all of them. So I was I guess it works in a sort of like meta way where like maybe the comic had been like, you know, a little tamer before that, but like in a real world way, I'm kinda like, wait, so no one ever like was given the order to like, you know, shoot to kill before this? Like Yeah, well that that's I mean this th- this is the first time anyone from the the G.I. Joe team that wasn't, like, some fictional general or, you know, not an action figure or in the cartoon actually died, you know? Like, I'm not going to sit there and say, like, there was never death or nobody tried to kill people in previous issues of G.I. Joe, but usually, like, when, when the pit got blown up, it was like, oh, it was... The, the group of the jugglers, which were all these bureaucratic generals that were always getting in the way of the Joes, you know, or like you maybe, you know, there, there was the issue where Cobra Commander quote unquote died, you know, where he, he, you thought literally he got shot in the back, you know, and then for, you know, years it was a Crimson Guardsman named Fred who was Cobra Commander. But I mean, other than those moments, you know, and, and, and Cobra Commander, you know, was a bad guy. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like other than bad guys and like, you know, people who were kind of shady, you know, like nobody who was a good guy actually got it until this issue. And, and it did feel like finally somebody was treating it with a sense of realism and, and I, you know, probably super intentionally, like this was right around the time when Desert Storm was starting up too. So maybe it was like, that that was kind of like a wake up call to you know not just have it be the kind of traditional sunbow cartoon thing where you know oh everybody always gets out in a parachute type thing and 
we only use laser guns or whatever. You know, maybe that was that was part of that too, where people kind of signed off on it and gave it the green light. But you know, I I, I for for me this was just a sort of a groundbreaking issue that you know it, it's on my my top ten GI Joe stories and and has always been like a really really important comic and it, uh, you know conveniently or coincidentally or what have you you know strictly speaking i did get it from a walden books from the spinner rack and it, it's kind of bittersweet where you're like oh yeah there are no more walden books anymore you know like i, I was reading on wikipedia like basically all the stores were closed by 2011 and apparently this store i did some some random googling about this specific location and what i found were like yelp pages that said like dude better hurry up and go to this because it's gonna close and the date was like you know december 30th 2009 and it's like everything's on sale go to the walden books and buy it out or whatever so it's it's kind of like that whole you know end of an era thing where you know at least in california there aren't a whole shitload of bookstores anymore because everybody's using kindles or ipads or what have you what, what about you guys like i know mike's spoken up about the issue but how about you justin and tony like do you have any other thoughts on it any things you want to share in terms of you know your your impressions of, of the issue in particular and like i said i just i i couldn't believe like so many joes got killed off in, in just this one issue like i was just sitting there i was like what no way and then like right there at the end i was like oh man like all these other guys like got killed too. Like, dude, like this is brutal. And then like my my theory as to why you like this or or why you chose this was I was reading it. I was like, I was like, I bet Derek picked this for the like scene where they go into space and use the Defiant. But like, I was totally wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, it, th- that seems to be almost like a clusterfuck because it's like I guess it's supposed to be like the quickest way to get there, but they're still like way too late to really do any good you know like i mean most everybody is dead by that point and and there is and it's not so much meta but there is this this notion that like we did kind of yuck it up about this issue too even though we thought it was like super hardcore and you know badass with like z's or whatever you know like we we were really i i remember being really into this issue and and other people when you pointed that out to them they'd be like oh yeah this is super cool but we did have kind of have this secret joke where it was like you notice like most of the guys that die are like pilots to like expensive vehicles that most kids probably didn't own so it was almost like ah he's just a vehicle driver you know like no big loss or whatever you know like that that kind of thing where it's like thunder and and um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, the, the guys that were actual pilots, but, you know, cross-country is a pilot, you know, like, heavy metal's a pilot, you know, like, so it was like, there was always that kind of, you know, joke that it's like, oh, you know, like, all these guys are the pilots and stuff that got that got mowed down in the, the opening scene or whatever. But, yeah, there's plenty of essential characters that, that they really took off the board, and I, I think once... I, I guess maybe it was editorial and probably Hasbro that okayed this too. You know, like obviously you you probably had to get the green light from like all those parties. But I think once they opened the floodgates, it's like Larry Hama definitely took advantage of, you know, it, it seemed to be like any characters he didn't like were killed, you know. And, and if, if, if there were stories that he wanted to explore with the deaths of other characters, he would you know, he would move forward and, and do that. 
you know. So that's that's pretty much all I got on this, unless you guys have anything else. Thirty years ago, I walked into a comic store and I picked up G.I. Joe and the Transformers number one. A month later I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story, a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. All right. So let's move on to Mike's pick. And this will be the last issue for the evening. And uh, go ahead, Mike. Why don't you tell us what issue you picked? Oh, I picked G.I. Joe number 142, which is the final part of the crossover with Generation 2, or I guess... It's like a pre-promotional like crossover for the upcoming like Generation Two like comic book series or that like is released in the same month, I believe. Like I think it's November of 1993, and I, I guess both this and Generation Transformers Generation Two Number One came out like in the same month. I know Generation Two Number One was the first one, like the first time I even saw like a new comic on the stands but like i went back like i think like the next week and well actually no i saw generation two like in the comic store and then i saw this yeah like in a uh like supermarket spinner rack because i i was kind of all excited about the generation two comic and then i saw megatron on the cover of gi joe he was in his like new green tank body and i'm like oh man like is he in this too and yeah, it says like, you know, featuring Transformers Generation 2. And it's like at that point, I guess the G.I. Joe comic was like skating on like Snake Eyes name or something like so it was like G.I. Joe starring Snake Eyes also featuring Transformers Generation 2. So it, it it had a lot of subtitles by that point. This is one of those comics like I read so much that I think I still own it, but I think like the staples are like falling out of it, like oh, by this point, and it's probably in pretty ratty shape when wherever it is, it's probably like packed away somewhere. Like I feel bad for picking this one because I did not pick it because I like liked GI Joe. I picked it because I liked Transformers. But yeah, so basically, like as a brief summary, it's it's part four of a like four part story that features like the return of Megatron after the end of the original Marvel series where the Ark crashed back into the Earth with Megatron aboard alongside Ratchet, Shockwave, and Galvatron and Starscream. Megatron is the only one to... Well, actually, well, Galvatron comes out of the wreckage like at, towards the end of the actual series, but then he gets thrown back into the ice by Fortress Maximus. And then Megatron wakes up, like, in, I think it's G.I. Joe 139. He basically, eventually, like, makes his way to a Cobra castle and forms an alliance with Cobra Commander. Cobra has this this female scientist named Dr. Biggles Jones, who is designing, like, new weaponry for them. And she, like, creates, like, a new railgun for them. 
So, like, as part of, like, the deal with Cobra Commander, basically, uh, Megatron gets a new body, which is his, like, green tank body, and, like, his new, instead of a fusion cannon, he's got this, the hyper-velocity railgun on his shoulder now, so... He's got, like, a sort of experimental human weapon now. His new body, obviously, is a lot bigger than his old one, and it also, like, he also has, like, these weird, like, powers, almost, where he can excite electrons, he says, or implode, like, cause neutron implosions or something. So, like, he would go on to, like, use those powers, like, in the Generation 2 series a lot. So that, I always thought that was pretty cool, where I was kind of like, oh, Megatron's using, like, Dragon Ball Z blasts and stuff or something. But as far as this issue goes, basically it leads off. Megatron's going to kidnap Dr. Biggles Jones, and he's going to, like, free... Like, basically it's, like, some weird sci-fi, like, 1950s, like, sci-fi thing where he's going to, like freeze her nervous system and like freeze like take her with him into like space like I, I forgot what exactly he's going for here like i guess to use her like to make more weapons or whatever but it's some weird like 1950s science fiction thing where he's like he's got this like cryo chamber and he wants to preserve her nervous system or something i don't know it's it's all weird scarlet has been working like undercover with Cobra, I guess, and uh, basically she she's trying to. I I forgot if she's trying to extract like Doctor Biggles Jones so they don't have access to her, like or Cobra doesn't have access to her, like for to make weapons anymore or what. Anyway, this issue opens up with the Scarlet like facing down Megatron as he's attempting to take you know Doctor Biggles Jones away. Scarlet is saved when a group of Autobots arrive. Because in a, a previous issue, the G.I. Joes, like, sent a message to Cybertron, I guess, that telling the Autobots that, like, Megatron had returned on Earth. For the most part, G.I. Joe and the Transformers had, you know, they, they had that one adventure, like, where they had the original, like, miniseries. And there's stuff in, like, the UK series where they, you know, they kind of met up with them in London. But other, other than that, like, they, they kind of kept... The G.I. Joes and the Transformers kind of kept to, like, you know, their sides of the universe, basically. And and deservedly so, because you, you the kind of, like, global-spanning things that were happening in both series probably would not, you know, go unnoticed in one series or another. So I guess they kind of... Unless you wanted to do something like IDW is doing now with like revolution. You you'd have to keep them, their events separate. Optimus prime sends the strike team of Autobots to take care of Megatron. And it's, it's a really like random ass crew of Autobots. Like it's hotspot skydive chase brawn override and steel jaw. So it's like, it's like a, a representative of a bunch of different subgroups. So like, it seemed to be a common thing in generation two, at least for Furman to like, like just throw a random assortment of characters together. But this, this seems even like more random than usual. Like you would think that he'd, you know, Hotspot would want to drag the rest of the Protectobots along so they could have like Defensor in their corner or something, but I guess not. In any case, Megatron, like, you know, they, they attack Megatron, and uh, Megatron, uh, much to our good friend Steeljaw's regret, blows up Steeljaw. <laughs> like, I, I forgot what's going on, like, in the background, but, like, Cobra Commander's, like, getting all, like, annoyed and stuff at Scarlet betraying them. So, like, there's also this subplot about that. Scarlet, like, f takes on Cobra Commander and Zorana 
and like like totally like kicks their asses and stuff. Eventually, like a bunch of alley vipers show up and uh, try to like stop Scarlet. And Cobra Commander keeps trying to order them to shoot her, but she keeps like kicking him in the face. So he can't get the order off. Snake Eyes shows up, saves her. The surviving Autobots like meet up with Storm Shadow and Spirit. Megatron's headed basically to the Ark because he wants to escape the planet. Spirit and Storm Shadow manage to like sneak skydive abo- aboard the Ark. Also, like Spike, w- Spike with Wiki, longtime like Transformers ally, is like hanging around for some reason. Like, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no real sense of where this is like taking place. So, like, I, I guess like Spike with Wiki, like just kind of like ran all the way from Oregon to get here because I don't remember if in like the previous issues he was like established at all but he's just in this issue and he just kind of sneaks aboard the Ark eventually anyway Megatron's killed mostly like all the Autobots except for like Hotspot and Skydive by this point Unfortunately, much to I'm sure Derek's chagrin, he vaporizes Braun. I get well. I I guess I should say, if if you wanna if you wanna believe those like botcon like universe comics, Braun was actually teleported away at the moment before he was vaporized and put into that giant like universe war that Unicron was like having. So, you know, that's a safety net for him. It ends up with Megatron basically successfully escaping with Dr. Biggles Jones. Hotspot left stranded on Earth and Spike Wiki stranded like, well, he's on the Ark too and he's like planning to like reunite with Fortress Maximus. After that, basically it continues, this story continues in like generation two, number two. But I don't think they ever mentioned Transformers like again in this book, basically, because and it's, it, 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 you know, you think that like I was saying, like the events are so like global spanning that they would have to because in Generation 2, number 2 or 3, I think like Bludgeon's Decepticons attack the Earth and begin like raising it to the ground, basically. So I don't think the Joes could ignore something like that. And in, in the Transformers Generation 2 comic series, like, they don't. Like, like Optimus actually meets with Hawk and, like, says, you know, I've got a plan to stop this and whatever. But, of course, this meeting never takes place in the G.I. Joe comic. So, but I'm sure, like, yeah, at that point, like, the, the universes kind of diverge again. But, but yeah, like, you know, I obviously I like this issue because, you know, we had a bunch of Transformers in it. And... You know, I was kind of like, I was always kind of like, wow, like Megatron sure killed a lot of like guys like Braun, like I liked and stuff and like Steeljaw and all that. And I was again, like I said, like it's weird that Hotspot didn't have any of his team members or Skydive didn't have any of his team members with him. And I don't know, it was just a very oddly like structured issue, too. But I don't know. What do you guys think of this issue? I'm officially calling shenanigans because this wasn't G.I. Joe. This was a, a bunch of Transformers nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't argue with that, really. <laughs> no, but like I, I don't think I had read very many G.I. Joe comics like past 90. So like I had no idea what's going on with G.I. Joe. And I don't think I knew that there were, like, more crossovers, like, outside of those, like, G.I. Joe Transformer minis and whatnot. So, like, when I, like, started reading this, I was like, oh, like, I guess there were more, like, Transformer G.I. Joe crossovers, and they were, like, in the main books. But, like, I, I had absolutely no idea what's going on in this, and I'm like, Scarlet and Snake Eyes, I'm like, 
if they hadn't said that's who they were in the dialogue, like I wouldn't have recognized them. And also, yeah, this like, is I, their like Ninja Force outfits, or it's like it's Snake Eyes's like second Ninja Force outfit because his first one was that ski mask thing, wasn't it? That that wasn't technically Ninja Force, but the, the, this oh, is that before the, the, that? I, I would call that his Deke outfit, I guess. But but this these are definitely Ninja Force, like because he's got the little beady eyes and the gray outfit and everything. Like the Ninja Force guys had all these like special action features like if i'm remembering right like they were they were almost like gi joe versions of like superpowers figures in a weird way ninja force the joes lose again scarlet you're the one that just rolled snake eyes it's the gi joe ninja force with real ninja moves here's snake eyes on the ninja lightning with thunder missiles and zip strip speed and now joe and cobra ninja raiders ginsu and red ninja spring into action in their own fast attack vehicles with a ninja surprise G.I. Joe Ninja Lightning and Ninja Figures sold separately. Ninja Raiders come with exclusive figures available in May. Oh, we need that gold to build our ultimate weapon. Like, to be honest, when those came out, I thought they were the gaudiest, ugliest fucking things I had ever seen. And I didn't get into them until maybe way later where I was like, oh, I want every version of Snake Eyes as a adult collector quote unquote you know and then and then i tracked down like that version of scarlet and i think like slice and dice because they were in a lot of these gi joe comics and stuff but i think yeah i i had nunchuck so i remember yeah that i i feel bad because i know you you brought this as a book you know probably like from your spinner rack days and from your childhood and all that kind of stuff but like for me i think like I was super frustrated with the book by this point because I think if G.I. Joe 109 revitalized my interest in G.I. Joe, like this thing here, like crushed my interest in G. It's like I, I didn't read it after this point because about what, I don't know, like for the last couple of years before this crossover started, Andy Wildman was doing the art. And it was like, dude, the guy who drew Transformers is doing G.I. Joe? Awesome. And, like, it it was this thing where I wanted to keep reading G.I. Joe, and I thought it was great. And then in the beginning of this, I think the first part of this was issue 138, and I think Andy Wildman did, like, maybe 10 or 11 pages. And then after that, I think it was this guy, or these guys, like Jesse D. Orozco and William Rosado, and, like... It just, it was a major disappointment. Like, because I was like, wait, you mean to tell me you could have had the guy who used to draw Transformers cool, like, could have drawn this crossover, but, like, vamoosed after the first ten pages? And I just, I couldn't handle it. Like, that that part of it, I thought, like, the art was was just kind of... You know, and kind of like what you're saying, like, it, it did seem like by this point the book had jumped the shark, where you're like, it's G.I. Joe featuring Snake Eyes, featuring Generation 2, yeah. you know, and you're just like, you're yeah. just like, Jesus Christ, like, anything, anything to sell a book, you know? I didn't think, that, like, the art in this issue was, like, too bad, but it does, like, there are some pages that look extremely rough, like they were, like, inked in a hurry or something, and... I remember it like the first issue of this crossover or either the first one or the second one where Megatron's still in his like G1 form and he's attacking the Cobra castle like that had fantastic art. 
Like, but and I think that that might have been wild, man. Like, I'm not sure. It, it was because that was that that was that first like ten or eleven pages. That yeah. You did. And you're, I think that's why I was so like crestfallen because I was like, oh, this is gonna be the shiznit, and you know, it's like, yeah, maybe we had access to previews or something, and I should have known better. But you know, it was like I I had no idea the rug was gonna be pulled out from under me in terms of the art. Because yeah. You were like. You're, you know, it's like you're getting in the mood. You were, you know, you were drinking your, you know, shots of your favorite beverage, and all of a sudden they swapped it out on you, and it was like Popov's vodka, and you got sick and couldn't stand it anymore or something, you know? Yeah. Well, bot talk point of trivia. One of the inkers on, I think, this issue and several of the preceding issues was Chip Wallace, or or as he's known on bot talk, or as he was known as C Wallace. So, like, you know, a bot talk alum worked on these issues. Although I, he's long gone, though. I, I I think he hasn't posted in like four or five years at this point. Did you say where you got this issue when you stumbled upon it? It was a supermarket. I don't remember which one, but like, I, I just remember being super excited because I didn't like Transformers Generation 2 number one was the first issue I saw and the first inkling I had that like there were new Transformer comics. So I got that issue. And then like the next week I was in like the grocery market with like my parents and I saw this issue like in a like one on a rack and I was like, oh, is this an is this I thought I think I must have thought it was like issue two of Generation Two, but it was actually like the lead in to Generation Two. I mean, I, I think I I would finish off my thoughts by saying it was something that I was certainly anticipating and was excited about, but ultimately, at least as far as the GI Joe Transformers crossover aspect, I was and and specifically like the art and stuff, not being Andy Wildman, I was. I was a bit disappointed with the end product, you know, but that that's not a reflection on, say, like the G2 comic or anything. It's just like this particular lead in wasn't quite as awesome as maybe I would have hoped. It also, would. they they color chase like searchlight, like for the entire issue. Chase chase is the red throttle bot, not the white one. Tony, you got anything on this? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, as far as this issue goes, definitely a departure. From GA Joe, unless you, of course, know that they've teamed up teamed up before with Transformers, and there always seems to be a doctor involved. Like with GI Joe versus Transformers, the original Mar- Marvel one, it was like some blonde-haired chick that Hawk wanted to bang or something, and she made like a giant drilling machine that could destroy the world, or I don't know. You have to read the four issue series. But this one was is is what's her name? Uh, Mike Doctor Bigglesworth? What? Doctor Biggles Jones. Biggles Jones. <laughs> A very, very, very distinguished name. She basically makes Megatron. Like, he was all beaten up after G1, so she makes him a new body and stuff. And, you know, because of that, he's kind of working with Cobra because Cobra kidnapped her. But it does kind of end, you know, with the idea of Megatron screwing over Cobra Commander again. So I kind of like that it was kind of like, you know, not really a one and done because obviously there was something before this. But I like that they didn't keep tying it and tying it and tying it in. And I think the only downside I would say about this issue, Mike, is by the point with the G.I. Joe comics, they really, really went balls deep with the whole Snake Eyes is Jesus thing. He's, he's just, just... Yeah. Like I said, yeah. it's like, it's like you know, it's G.I. Joe starring Snake Eyes. And <laughs> like and Snake Eyes is like the, the letters are bigger on Snake Eyes than the actual G.I. Joe logo. Yeah. And he's obviously the coolest, baddest, you know, 
guy in the world, even though this is like his worst costume. I really hated this Snake Eyes costume. This this would be the Ninja Force one where he just has eyes. Like no goggles, no visor, just little white eyes. And I'm just like, I don't like it. The Autobots are written written really well here. I like Hotspot. I've always liked Hotspot. Megatron is evil, as he's supposed to be. Cobra Commander's a little cartoony. Like there's there's times where he says stuff like, you know, all I care about is money and power and everything else can go to hell. And it's like, eh, okay, whatever. But other than that, though, it is fun. It is a really fun issue because, again, you get to see Scarlet trying to fight Megatron, and that's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, and, and at the end of the day, the, the day's not saved, really, as much as Megatron's just like, I've got my shit, bye! <laughs> you know, As far as it goes, it was it was a fun issue. I like the artwork. It was definitely kind of different from the normal G.I. Joe look. It looked very much more like the guy was more familiar drawing Transformers and, you know... The G.I. Joe's looked okay, but I blame that mainly on the costumes. I don't think it was like Cobra Commander looked fine because that was one of his classic versions of his outfit. It was just a black version. Yeah, it was fun. It was, I guess that's the best way to say it. This is like one of those fun comics. It was kind of like the one I picked, like issue 60. It's not, you know, dire ramifications. Everybody's dying, but it's, you know, fun little romp. Tell that to Steeljaw. <laughs> My life! <laughs> oh, poor Steeljaw. Cassette robots die. Life goes on. Did you did you have anything else on this issue? No, other than I was like super confused and like I like like Mike like you guys said like some of the art like was not that great in certain uh, spots. Yeah, especially towards the end, like there was some like you know it goes from like this hyper detailed shot of like all the bruises on like Doctor Biggles Jones' face, and then like the next page like her face is like really under detailed and like not bruised at all so yeah it's pretty uh shaky all right that'll do it for tonight for our stories from the spinner rack episode with gi joe we hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and you will check out all our other spin-off podcasts we can be reached if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can listen to all the backlogs of our episodes at fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We appreciate all the likes and feedback that we get on all the various social medias. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. All right, love, that was funny as anything. I'll tell you what, this is Tony signing off. This is Justin, and I'm like now immediately and incredibly sad there was never a gym train set.
and I'm Tony, and I'm a stupid doty head. <laughs> it's all it's all the trains that's like truly outrageous, choo choo, truly 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 outrageous, choo choo. I'm getting a mental image of like the little like cars racing around the thing or the trains, and like you know a like gem like figure like flips out of them or something, and then it like flies off the track, and she's like. Ah! It's like it's like the the misfits show up and cause like mass chaos and destruction. <laughs> Where the misfits will run your train off the tracks. Where the misfits, our trains are better. GI Joe will return after these messages. Have, have we lost Tony? I don't think online. so. Yeah. Maybe maybe his brother came home or something and he had to look Tony, 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 Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony. Billy, 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 Billy. Billy, Tony. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. As a, like, yeah, damn it, Campbell. Hang on. Stupid dogs bothering me. That dog is a cobra dog. I guess so. Hey, lay down. Lay down. Um, not. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Alright guys, so if you haven't figured it out, yes, oh yes, we will be discussing G.I. Joe tonight on a special Stories from the Spinner Rack episode. And what we're going to do is we each brought a single issue of Marvel G.I. Joe comic book from various... I, I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm like, I'm gonna start over. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. Hang on. Take two. See, I do comic books. We're gonna talk about them. <laughs> okay. So. Take your time. GI Joe will return after these messages. I always kind of hate reading like G two stuff because it always makes me sad because. Hotspot was really cool in G2, and then he died. Yeah, blew himself up. Yeah. He learned the wrong lesson from Optimus Prime. You got to do it on a video game first. <sighs> After all is said and done, you're a corpse now. <laughs> <laughs> Rotting in the ground again. You'll never be seen by your friends. You're so dead, 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 dead. Your warm food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Only Tony can make. Such a, a inspirational, like favorite eighty song to some morbid. <laughs> Gonna blow yourself up, and you're taking it all. <laughs> Look, there's your left arm down the hall. You're so dead. You Surrounded by call. enemies, and your backs to the wall. Gonna blow yourself up. And you're taking it all. <laughs> oh. You're a corpse. Now back to the G.I. Joe. 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 Now back to the G.
back to G.I. Joe.